If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 14. I'm intrigued by many things in life. Things get my curiosity, and some things I go, wow, I don't understand that. One of those things is if I watch the Weather Channel a good bit, and they always have these guys on there that chase storms. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't understand someone who wants to run to a tornado. I can understand running from one. That's what I would do. But these guys, they go find tornadoes, and they find storms, and they want to get as close to them as they can, and they, and they, of course, they try to exact information from them to, to do good things. But I'm just amazed. They really get a thrill, and it's exciting to them to get in the middle of a tornado. But they chase them. They look for them on purpose. And I've, I've seen pictures where they've had their, their vehicles tore up and their windshields broken, and a lot of stuff happens. But they go back out again and find another tornado. Here's what I know about storms. I don't have to go look for them. Storms find me in my life. All of us deal with storms. They have a way of finding us. Today I want to talk about how we keep steady during life storms. And storms come. Storms of confusion, of loneliness, of adversity. Storms are reality for all of us. We're either in a storm right now, we have just come out of a storm, or we're heading into a storm pretty much in the future somewhere. So we all understand what storms are like. Now, here's what I know about storms. They have one of two purposes. Storms can be for correction to change direction. In other words, the storm comes to change the direction I'm going in. Case in point is a guy named Jonah who was running away from God, and God said, hey, I'm going to find you, and this storm is going to turn you around, and we know it did. He changed his direction from being disobedient to obedient. And then uh, the second purpose is for perfection, and that's to fulfill our destiny. God now will sometimes allow a storm to come to perfect us, to be more of what we should be, to fulfill why he's left us here on planet Earth. Now, that's what storms are all about. What does Jesus do for us in the midst of the storm? We all deal with them. We all have them. So let's take a look at this, please, if you will. Chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 22. Let's read together. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Now he said, guys, I want you to get in the boat. He had been teaching, just fed 5,000. They wanted to proclaim him king. That was not Christ's purpose. He was to be a sacrificial savior. And so he was now sending the disciples on the other side. He was going to dismiss the crowd. He was going to go pray. And so he said, guys, I'll meet you on the other side. Now, if I would have been the disciples, I would have asked, how's he going to do that? But they just got in the boat and took off. Now, here's the thing. He said, okay. He dismissed the crowd. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves, storm, because the wind was against them at around three in the morning. That's to me in the middle of the night. Don't know about you, but that's in the middle of the night. And these guys are out in a storm-tossed boat with winds just beating them down, and Jesus doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found. You ever been there? 
Storms can have a way of doing that. They just come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we sense like what is happening and where is he at? Here's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus prays for us. It says that he had gone alone to pray. Praying. He was well aware of what was taking place with the disciples. He knew he could, he could sit, he knew what was happening, he knew how the wind was blowing, he knew what uh, the water would be doing. It would be churning and waves, and he was now praying. What was he praying for? I'm sure, first of all, he's praying that God would continue to, to reveal the purpose of why he's here to the people who saw him and heard him and touched him as he made his ministry about the roundabout the area. I'm sure he was praying to continue to magnify and glorify God as he did often when he spoke and when he prayed at other times. And I'm very sure he was praying for his disciples to come to understand the purpose of why they were here. Because they didn't have a clue yet. And so I want you to know he prays for us. Jesus came to this world to tell us about God, and he's in heaven talking to God, the Father, about us. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 4, I want you to look with me and understand how he prays for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Can I tell you, first of all, he prays for us passionately. That passion that brought him from heaven to earth, that, that passion that, that would move him to hang on a cross, that passion that would empower him to die sacrificially with such agony and suffering and pain, that passion that would endure all the temptations that would come his way even before the cross and during the cross, and he yet would never, ever sin, all that passion now is still with him in heaven. He still is passionate about you and about me. That has not changed. We need to remember that because sometimes we're wondering, God, I don't know where you are. I don't feel you today. Please understand, he is as passionate about you today as the day he died on the cross for you. That has not diminished. That has not changed. He is passionate about us. He is in love with us. He cares about us. And so he is praying passionately. But secondly, he prays precisely. Sympathizing with our weaknesses. Knowing what we face and how we feel. He's praying for us. You see, he was praying for those disciples because he knew what they were facing. They were facing a storm. He knew what they were feeling. Confusion. Maybe loneliness. Sometimes you can be in the middle of a crowd and be lonely. And so he's saying, I, I, you know, I, I'm praying, God, that you reveal yourself, that, that they understand who you are, Father, that I glorify you, and they see your glory in my life. I'm sure he's praying they come to understand of why they are really here and what they're supposed to be about doing. He's praying for them to get it. He is aware of their weaknesses. He's aware of their fears. He's aware of their struggles. And let me tell you, he's also aware of yours and mine. He's well aware of what you're afraid of. He's well aware of what scares you and troubles you. He's well aware 
of what bothers you. He is very comprehensive in how he understands you and understands me. And therefore, he prays precisely. In other words, he is about the business of interceding for us. Now, can I tell you, I don't understand how that works. I mean, there's a whole lot of us. And all of us have a lot of stuff that's, that's just got to be dealt with. And yet, God in the sovereign Godhead, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, have this incredible, supernatural, infinite, sovereign connection where he's got us covered all the time. There's never a minute that we're... Uh, out of touch or out of sight with the passion of Christ and he precisely knows what needs to be happening for our benefit and how to maneuver us through the storms. Storms of failure, the storms of fear. He maneuvers. He prays precisely, but also, verse 16, he prays profoundly. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Isn't that great? The throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us what we do not deserve. So therefore, we're fully covered. And in the process, look what he says. If I come boldly saying, here I am with my storm. Dear God, it's a big storm. It's a frightening storm. It's a horrendous storm. It's an overwhelming storm. Dear God, he's got you covered. And at the proper time. Now, let me tell you what that means. That doesn't mean your time or my time. It doesn't mean the day on a calendar or the time on your clock. It simply means in his sovereign knowledge of what his will is and what must be done, he shows up at the right time. I may think he's late, but he's really not asked me to vote on the matter because he knows what must be done. He's God. There's nothing about him that's lacking. There's nothing. He doesn't have a blind spot that he doesn't see something, as all of us do. We all have blind spots. So he said, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that I've got you covered profoundly at the right time with grace and mercy. I show up. Well, that's Jesus praying for us, and therefore we can sense his presence during the storm. But also, secondly, Jesus comes to us. Look at verse 25. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. He comes to us. In other words, all of a sudden, he became very real. These guys are fishermen. They're aware of what takes place on the water. And at three in the morning, nobody normal is walking on the water. They know that. They're seeing a, a human form walking on the water, and the logical conclusion is it must be a ghost. How often God is trying to make himself known, and we seem to appeal to logic and miss him. And so he, they, they were going, he's got to be a ghost. And now they're afraid because they know ghosts are kind of a serious thing. And they're going, this is not normal. And they're kind of like, is, is this ghost coming for us? And, and so they're concerned about this. So now they see this, they go, we're afraid. 
Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid, I've showed up, everything's okay. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, in there, there's always one in every crowd in there. Well, if it's really you, bid me come to you. Let me walk on the water. And Jesus said, come on, look what he said. Bid me, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But he saw the strength of the wind and was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus comes to us, meaning he becomes very real, usually in our darkest hour. I know he's real to us all the time. I understand. We're church people. Hey, God's real. We know he's real. The Bible says he's real. Creation says he's there. But the truth is, isn't it amazing how real he becomes when our need is great, when our pain is deep? When the night is dark, all of a sudden we're saying, God, I need to see you, man. I got, I, 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 you know, uh, uh, it's kind of like the uh, little girl is, I kind of woke up in the night, she's scared, she cries out for her daddy, and her daddy comes running in the room, so what is it? I said, well, I'm scared, I'm just scared, I'm afraid. So okay, well, let's pray, and he prayed with her, and said, yeah. he said now listen, I'm asking Jesus to take care of you, and he's going to be with you, and he's going to protect you, and he's got you, he's got you covered tonight, you're going to be okay. So you go back to sleep. Well, a few minutes pass, she cries out, daddy, daddy, I'm scared. He goes in the room and he says, what is this? What is this? I told you, I told you that Jesus is with you. He's going to be here to protect you. He says, yeah, but I need someone with skin on. <laughs> Truth is, we really need to see the reality of Jesus, don't we? But sometimes he's there. We're just not paying attention. He, he was walking. They misunderstood who he was. And, and so amazing. We see this at our darkest hour, a little before the morning, just when I need him most, he, he shows up. And I'm so glad of that. And then he also makes himself real during our greatest fears. When fear seems to be winning the battle, he shows up. At the proper time, at the best time, at the most significant time in our lives, walking, he's walking on the water. And what he wants you to know from this passage, that whatever storm you're in is under his feet. You need to know that. Get that. I know your storm could be raging. You're saying, Pastor, you have no idea what I'm going through. You can't believe what's happening in my life. I may not know. Please hear me. Whatever storm it is, it is always under his feet. I know that. Now, sometimes I I have to be reminded of that. I don't know about you, but I can forget. God has to remind me. And so I I look at this and I go, Lord, I I, I don't want to forget this. And our greatest fears, you come through. You become real. I had a uh, colonoscopy done Friday. It was Friday, wasn't it? Friday. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you the details. Y'all don't want to hear all that stuff. But what I do want to tell you is I didn't want to do it. I didn't like it. But it also is kind of need to be done kind of thing. And so, I, I, you know, you have, to, you have to spend a day and a half not eating anything. And then you have to drink this horrible stuff that surely there's sins you're paying for when you drink it. Uh, and, and you go, dear Lord, I have done something bad to get this. Uh, and, and, you, and then, you, you know, you're just going to process. Uh, and so then you show up at the doctor's office. You've not eaten for a day and a half. You've drank this horrible stuff. And, and they wonder why you're not really in a good mood. 
And you go in and say, oh, yeah, everybody gets done. So they, they do, they're great. Doctor, my doctor's great, fantastic, and, I, you know, he does a good job. But, and uh, so they bring me back to the room. Well, they, they made Charlene stay at this room, and I got to go on back to the room. And, and I'm thinking, well, I must be ready to go then because she's not coming back, and that's good because I'm hungry. I'm ready to go eat. So let's get this over with. And so they're in there, and, and they, the two nurses are working. They're doing a great job. And, and, uh, and they're, you know, they're saying, one's talking to me, asking me questions, and the other one's poking me with an IV needle. And, uh, and she poked one, and it didn't do good, so she had to go up here further. And, and she, she says, and she says, listen, are you okay? You are sweating. Are you nervous about this? I said, yes, ma'am. I don't want to do this. At what part do you think this is fun? And she goes, well, I understand. I said, no, no, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm doing this because my doctor tell me to do it. I, I would never volunteer for this. And she says, well, it's going to be okay. I said, I know it is, but I just don't want to do it, and I don't like it, you know, and so forth and so on. And then they say this to you. We want you to understand when you sign this paper, while this is really this situation, what we're going to do, the procedure, and very rarely is there a complication, but they are possible. And then the thought crosses my mind, I wonder how rare I really am. You know, am I one of those rarely people, you know? And I'm saying, so I sign saying, I understand that while most of the time nothing happens, something can happen. I sign it. And then they say, well, okay, we're done. Uh, they hadn't given anything yet. They just got me ready. And they said, we're going to get you about 25 minutes. I said, you're going to leave me alone for 25 minutes? Thinking, man, where's Charlene? And thinking, well, they got her back there. And they give me a button, and I'm thinking. You know, so I begin to think, Lord, okay. They're going to put me to sleep. They're going to do this thing. And I understand that it's pretty much kind of like nothing to it, except for that rarely is a big deal sometimes. So I'm talking to him about, okay, Lord, you know, I'm praying. They know you're going to be with me, and you'll come real to me. I know that. And then I'm thinking, well, suppose I am that rarely person, and something happens, and and I didn't get to tell my wife that I love her. And that bothered me. I'm like, Tom, God, I didn't get to tell I love her. They took my phone away. I couldn't call her. And so I, I'm thinking, I didn't get to tell I love her. So, Lord, you know, you know, and then I think, man, I should have called my kids before I came and told them I loved them. <laughs> now, this is going on. And I'm going, you know, and so finally I'm saying, Lord, you know, and I am, I am sweating. I am sweating. Good, gracious. And, uh, and I'm thinking, Lord, okay. And God just really became very risked. So, you know, it's okay. I got you. Told you a few weeks ago, I'll always get you home safe. And so I know if, I, if I'm the rarely person, if I'm the exception clause in the contract, I'll be all right because I'll be with you. He always shows up. I'm telling you guys. Now, it wasn't as big a storm as some of you were going through. I know that. But it's big for me for about an hour. I've had other storms that lasted longer than an hour. So have you. He comes to us, folks. He comes to us. He comes to us. He ministers to us. Thirdly, he ministers to us. <laughs> Peter saw the strength of the wind. He was afraid and began to sink and cried, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, why'd you doubt? Can I tell you what doubting is? The purest definition of doubting is standing between uh, basically 
standing uncertainly in two ways. I'm torn between two options, two opinions, two decisions. Therefore, I have doubt. Peter was great. As a matter of fact, he stepped out of the boat and started to walk on the water. Now, guys, I can't imagine what uh, a drilling rush this man got when he realized after a step or two that he was walking on the water. I can imagine because of his personality that he has looked back at his buddies in the boat and said, hey, I'm walking on water. Look at this. I am. And he's thinking, I, I don't know. He's probably a, he's not saying that loud, but he's thinking, I am walking on water. And he's looking at Jesus the whole time. And then it says that he took his eye off Jesus, and now he was torn between two things, the storm and the Savior. And there comes doubt, always. We are to gaze at the Savior always and glance at the storm, but gaze at the Savior. All of a sudden, he gazed at the storm and glanced at the Savior. And he began to sink. Now, when I read this, what comes to my mind is at what point did he cry out? At what point did he realize he was in trouble? I wonder when he went and he started, he got down to his knees, his waist. If he's like me, he wouldn't cry out until he got to his chin. Thinking, man, I think I'm really no longer walking on water. I'm about to drown. Lord, save me. And Jesus ministered to him. He reached down and grabbed him, picked him up, and, and they both walked on water together to the boat. A significant story. Guys, if I walk with Jesus in fellowship as I'm supposed to, I'm walking with the one who has my storm under his feet. You need to get that. You need to get an image clearly in mind. Storms are very real. They come. They, they, they cause problems. They misunderstood who he was at first. But he was there. In spite of fear and doubt, he ministered to them. And when he got Peter to the boat and the storm stopped, the wind stopped, they all bowed down and worshipped him. Truly you are the Son of God. Sunday school lesson was over. Saw his power and they worshipped him. I love what the choir sang today, I will sing. In the midst of storms of life, we have a song. Storms I know are real. I don't please. When I, when I, when I talk about my story, it has not, some of you are in such a turmoil and things are going on that are just crashing at your life. I understand that. I've been deep sea fishing twice in my life. I will only go deep sea fishing twice in my life. I went once, got sick, didn't catch a fish, and it was just horrible, and got sunburned. Then I was my pastor in my second church, and they had, they had guys that liked to go deep sea fishing all the time, and they wanted me to go, and I'd always say, oh, I can't go, you know. Said, oh, pastor, you got to go. We got two lost guys going, and you need to go. Okay? So I'm going, all right, I don't, you know, okay, I'll go. I'll go. Well, this trip was an overnight trip. We spent the night on the ocean. And so we got down there, we got out, and then we spent the night. But 
And it was, it was okay. We had a big old boat. Captain was great. And, and I had loaded up on Dramamine. I was not going to get sick. And I may sleep through the whole thing, but I won't get sick. So, uh, you know, it's fine. And, and we, you know, it's great. And uh, uh, we, we were kind of getting ready. They, they, we'd caught fish that afternoon, and they cooked it on the boat. And we were eating it. It was great, you know. Yeah, it's good stuff, you know. We're having a good time. And, of course, I'm doing a devotion, talking about stuff. And I used the thing of dropping them on the right side of the boat. We had a ball, and guys were listening, you know. And then it came time, let's all go to bed. We got, we're going to go to sleep because we, we weren't going to fish at night. Let's one or two. So we anchored. And somewhere about two in the morning, the boat started doing this. I mean, really. And it's like, it's like, it's coming up and it's popping the ocean and it's just swaying back and forth. And, and, uh, the thing that you're kind of going, okay, this is kind of a little unusual. I, I, you know, not quite what I had in mind being rocked to sleep, but okay. And then all of a sudden we heard this scream. The captain who was in his little uh, room at the top of the, uh, the, the boat uh, had a great captain's chair. It was nice. Well, he was sleeping in it. And what happened, the wave had tossed the boat one way and then tossed the other, and the, the pedestal snapped under the seat, and he went flying out of his seat, and he hollered really loud. Ah! And we're going, oh, my gosh, we've lost the captain. What are we going to do? And so, you know, man, this is not good. And so uh, we all, we're all awake now. We almost had two guys that actually went overboard because they were sleeping up in the, on the deck right next to the captain. And, and it was kind of it was scary. We were scared because, oh, man, did we lose anybody? Everybody okay? And, and, finally, and it was rough. And it was rough, rough, rough. And, of course, the morning came and thing was fine. We fished some more and. Got home. But after that trip, we had one of those young, one of those men was saved, gave his heart to Christ, got very involved in church. But I thought about that storm as I was thinking about this. I thought about when all of a sudden it came out of nowhere and all of a sudden it was just the, 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 the tempest of the, of the wind and the water. Our life is like that sometimes, isn't it? It's beating us up, beating us down, wearing us out. We're sometimes misunderstanding where God is and we're Sometimes in a storm of confusion, doubt, and we're saying, God, I need you. Please hear me. He comes to us. He ministers to us. He prays for us in the midst of a storm. For many of you here, you feel as if the storms of life never cease. Maybe it's been one storm after another. You've never felt the peace of casting your cares of the Lord because you don't have a relationship with Him. You've never had that personal relationship of trust that you can trust Him with your storm. And you're at the mercy of the storm. I, and I, I feel for you greatly because you're in trouble. Because until you know Him as your Prince of Peace, you'll never know the power of His peace in your life during a storm. I wonder if you're ready to make that decision today. If you're ready to give Him your heart to finally surrender to his salvation call on your life, his invitation to life, and say yes to the grace that calls you to salvation and repentance. Would you say yes today? Quit putting it off. Quit pushing it away. And finally say yes.